What is happening, everybody? Welcome to Debate Night. Brody Smith here, alone in the Dominican Republic. Uh, if you haven't, you missed out on a long Q and A section session, session at the beginning on YouTube. But you're listening to this, you don't hear any of that. So definitely go over to YouTube Foundation Podcast. Make sure you subscribe over there. But I'm 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 solo tonight. We're in the Dominican Republic. We're doing the best we can. Uh, and hopefully we have a good show for you tonight. I reached out on Twitter, got some information for topic ideas, some debate topics potentially, and we're going to get some people in the chat that's on YouTube right now because we are going live to weigh in. And so we'll see if they are for, against, and maybe they have new stuff. But before we jump into there, I want to... Give a quick shout out to our sponsor for debate night tonight, Aura. Uh, Aura, yeah, Aura uh, is today's sponsor. Aura is an easy to use app that includes everything you need to stay safe online. Aura protects you from scammers and hackers by scanning the so-called dark web, where criminals sell stolen information, looking for your emails, passwords, and social security numbers. It alerts you fast if you find if it finds anything. They help you fight back against those annoying websites that make your personal information public by automatically requesting the removal of your info. This helps reduce robocalls. Aura gives you uh, near real-time alerts on suspicious credit inquiries. Um, like if someone was opening a loan or credit card in your name, their VPN allows you to stay anonymous, anonymous online by keeping your browser history and personal information safe and encrypted. And they protect your devices from viruses, malware, spyware, and more, so the bad guys can't break in. My goodness. Um, Aura even helps you manage what your kids can do on their devices. You can restrict specific apps, set screen time limits, and even set focus time to ensure your child is doing their homework instead of binging on YouTube, unless it's Foundation Podcast. Then, you know, let them let them listen their ears out. And their password manager lets you store and access their online passwords securely and conveniently. Let Aura do the hard work or keeping you, uh, of keeping you safe online. If you sign up right now, Aura will give you a two-week free trial with my link. You'll be shocked at how much of your private information Aura finds exposed over these two weeks. So go to Aura.com slash Foundation Disc Golf to start your free trial. Also, the link will be in the description down below. There we go. Everyone be safe out there. What the heck are we doing? If you're not safe, what the heck are you doing? All right, shout out for Kelsey too. Kelsey, big, big shout out to Kelsey for getting that together. And we're moving on. So the first thing we're going to talk about is who I think some of the most underrated pros are. So this was Baby Batter 69. Not sure if there's a topic, but who's the most underrated upcoming pro right now? Who to keep an eye on in the near future? I mean, I think this was this year... Obviously, there was a big influx of players that a lot of people that have been paying attention to the Pro Tour were like, who the heck are these people? Where are these people coming from? Um, you got Nicholas Antilla. You got Chandler Kramer. Uh, you got Robert Burridge. Uh, you got a ton of people that just came out of the woodworks. Isaac Robinson's another one. That's a good one. Just a ton of people that came out of Gavin Babcock. If you look at Gavin and look at what he did at the majors, 
I think he got top 20 at every major this year and a couple top 10s. Like, he came out of the woodworks. There, there are so – Luke Sam, Samson just won an event. I mean, this – I'm – I am so excited for this upcoming season because there are so Aaron Gossage. That's another. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's the names keep going on. I think again, I'll say this and I said this going into last season when money starts getting serious, when there starts becoming a life changing amount of money in front of you, that bodes a lot of motivation for lots of people because if you're sitting at home and you understand that if you put in the work and you believe in yourself and you go out there and you, and you have yourself a fantastic year, you could potentially be making life-changing money the, the next year or two years from now. And having that as a possibility opens the doors to a lot more people getting aggressive and going after their dreams and goals rather than having to have that realistic aspect of, hey, I can't spend that much time doing this activity because ultimately this is not going to make money for me. Like there's no way of me making money doing this. So I cannot be putting all my effort and time into this. I, I need to be making sure that I have something else going on that can pay the bills. So again, this offseason is going to be so interesting because it's very difficult to get a lot better through the season, especially if you're playing a lot of the events. You're kind of just managing, slowly making changes here and there. The off season is where you can make massive improvements. So we'll see. Because again, I talked about this a little bit on Jonathan Nicholson's podcast. If you guys haven't checked that out, I did a a little interview over there with him and he we were talking just kind of about the journey and all that stuff. And no matter how much you love something or how passionate about you are with something, there are just going to be some days that you just aren't as interested in doing it. You want something else comes up and you're like, oh, I haven't done that in a while. That'll be fun. There's going to be other distractions. There's going to be things along the way. And the difference between the people that reach their goals and the people that don't reach their goals in these like kind of sport kind of analogy are the ones that were willing to sacrifice on the days that they maybe weren't as motivated as other days and still put in the work. So again, we will see what happens this off season. Vegas will be, I'm sure very, very excited, exciting. All right. We got Ryan Shepard, seven, three, four. He wants to know how many disc golf manufacturers is too many interesting it's also very interesting i don't know again i'm very new into the sport i don't know if this has been talked about before if it's been brought up of like oh my gosh there's so many manufacturers out there i think the market in anything always decides how much is too much because eventually there will be a time where 
there's just too many options. And so the big dogs will stay alive and survive and the little dogs won't make it and they're gone. It, you know, I don't know what that number is. I don't think anyone knows what that number is. It's just going to boil down to the market and what the demand is. And, you know, that's will be, but to me, competition is great. I think if you're looking at it from a perspective of a fan, you want to have competition. You don't necessarily want to have one manufacturer dominating and everyone else can't really get a seat at the table. You want to have competition because that's going to make everyone strive to be better. Look at Ticketmaster. Do we need to go into Ticketmaster? You know what's going on with Ticketmaster? You guys know what's going on with Ticketmaster? You don't necessarily want to have a Ticketmaster situation on your hands where you're just they're just like, sorry. Because it's like there's no competition. They're, they don't have to. They can just come out every single time and say, sorry, sorry, sorry. Because they know no one else is coming in to do it better than they are. And it is what it is. So... With this, you can't, you know, manufacturer can't really get away with that because if you get pissed off at a manufacturer and you're just like, I can't deal with this one anymore, there's someone else that's probably doing it better. You can give them your business and now this person uh, just lost your business. So, all right. Steve wants to know, do you think the Pro Tour needs to separate the MPO and FPO tours? I mean, completely separate. Similar to PGA, LPGA, different events, different courses. Here's my concern. Because I think ultimately the way the events are run, I don't think you are getting the best product by having both events happen at the same time. And I know some people might throw out, well, tennis does it. And yes, they do. Tennis does have men's and women's matches going on the same week at these tournaments. However, those are individual matches that are on multiple courts where the way we're doing it is like when the FPO is out on the course, the MPO cannot be out on the course. When the MPO is out on the course, the FPO cannot be out on the course. As the FPO grows, it cannot sustain playing at the same time on the same courses as the MPO. It cannot. You cannot have 140 people playing FPO and 140 people playing MPO. You cannot have 280 people playing one course on one day. It is impossible. We already right now are struggling with the 160 or however many we currently have with MPO and FPO. So that is already an issue of where you're basically going to have to cap it at some point if you continue to go this way. Now the issue that I think we're having right now is can both FPO and MPO survive by themselves? And that's an answer I do not, I do not know. That is more of a disc golf pro tour answer. They've got the numbers, they can see how much money generates, they can see you know, what advertisers are coming in saying, hey, we want to advertise during the FPO coverage. We want to advertise during the, the MPO coverage. 
th- that's going to be something that they're going to have to look at. The only other, the other thing I want to add to this too is I also think there is a big disservice on the FPO side with them at some of these events just playing the same courses that the MPO plays where I've said this before, I'll say it again. When you design a course, you design a course from the back tees. And if you just throw short tees, or if you say, okay, this is a par three for MPO, it's a par four for FPO, and they just play the same tees, the hole is not designed for it to be a two-shot hole. I think they're just, I think sometimes watching FPO play on MPO courses, we are losing being able to see their skills at the highest possible, uh, at the highest possibility, if that makes sense. So that would be the other thing I would say is I would love to see MPO playing on courses that suit MPO players, FPO playing on courses that suit FPO players. Good question though. And we'll see what happens. It'll be very interesting to see kind of how that moves forward. Do you think if players would be public about the beefs they have with players or not be fake friendly, it would create more and better storylines and cards at events? I mean, obviously, yes. Like people, people eat that stuff up. You go onto our, our podcast thing, search most viewed podcasts. You can see what podcasts people tune into the most. Clearly, people are interested in that stuff and they want to know what's going on, who likes who, who doesn't like who, what's going on. I think the issue really a lot of times is you have players that maybe don't feel comfortable coming out in a press conference or don't feel comfortable coming out on Twitter and just straight up saying how they feel about certain things. They do it in a way that is either through the rumor mill where they're just individually telling people and then that person tells someone, that person tells someone that uh, is friends with them and now it's outside of like the pro tour players and now it's kind of gone amongst maybe some of the, you you know how it works, you know how rumors are spread. I think again, one of the main issues is ultimately a lot of people would rather I think it's two things. I think some people just do not want to be in those headlines. I think some people just would rather stay low, not get in the mix, stay to themselves and continue on. And then I think, and and I think that's just some personality traits. Some people are a lot more um, willing to have, like for me, I'm, I'm very fine with having an argument with someone and discussing something with someone. I don't feel that that's awkward. I don't feel like that's weird. I feel like, Two people can respect one, one another enough to have differing opinions and discuss them. However, there are some people that just hate that and they get nervous and they just get anxiety and they don't want to have anything where it's like, uh, tension, they hate it. And so I can see how those some of those people, they just want to do their own thing, stay under their radar, continue on. And I do think there are some people also that are playing the game and understand that disc golf is more about having people like them and having people like increasing their fan base, if you will, than 
necessarily being good at disc golf, right? Like if you if, if you have two people that are both really good at disc golf, let's say top 20 players in the world, but one is super likable, everyone likes the person, and another person keeps themselves, doesn't say anything, doesn't have a social media, doesn't really do anything, like the value of this person compared to this person is drastically lower. And the money in disc golf right now is not in the tour person, is not in the purses. So like even though these two people are both roughly the same skill level and are finishing roughly the same spots and tours, the person that is super likable and everyone likes this person is making far more money than this person because the purses, the purses, there's no money. So I I can see that too um, of where some people are playing the, uh, you know, when you're trying to be the president in high school. And you're just saying all the right things and you know what people want to hear and you're saying what people want to hear. And if that's your MO, then that's your MO as well. For me, I just think it's really easy. I'll say this. I think it's really tough. It's tough to play that game for me personally because I just don't think you're being true to yourself. So I think it's probably better to just like deflect and like not answer the question and just move on and stick to yourself then answer it in a way that you think other people want you to hear the answer because again like I'm just I'm a terrible actor so like trying to put on a face and trying to be someone that people like all the time is probably one super exhausting and then two you're probably gonna fail at it you're probably gonna like say something one time and then you're going to slip and say what you actually think this time. And then people are going to be like, what the heck? You just said this, this. And now you're saying, I think you either, going about it, I think you either go two ways. Stick to yourself. Don't ever say anything. Stay off of social media. Or just say what's on your mind. And you're going to say some stupid stuff sometimes. Come out. Say, hey, that was stupid. I messed up. Move on. All right. Next one. Is there an issue? This from Dustin. Dusty. Is there an issue with prioritizing special runs of discs over stock discs? Special runs cost more to the consumer, but helps support players. Just curious on your take. I mean, I think it is a really interesting one because I think, again, we've talked about this. There, there is a bubble, right? There is, there, at some point in time, there will, be a, a, there will be so many players that have these special runs of discs that there's just too many. There, there's just too many options that they're just not going to get bought up. And because they're at a higher price point, people maybe are going to go and look elsewhere to try to get a disc to fit that that slot in their bag because maybe they just want a disc to throw versus a collectible disc or whatever it may be. So I don't know where that bubble is. I don't know what, if we've reached that bubble or if we're going to reach that bubble. But again, this is more on the manufacturer side of seeing the demand and seeing the trend of what's going on and figuring that out. What sponsors should we avoid, aka the established titles drama rocking the YouTube world? I got I to gotta look into this. Too many people are bringing this up. I got to look into this. I got to get to the bottom of this and figure out what's going on. Because um, again, if there's something weird going on and we're promoting a company that's doing weird stuff, not a fan of it. So like I said, that is priority number one. Uh, when I get off of here is I'm going to try to figure out what, what the heck is going on with this. Um, 
Then we have, they have one more. Oh, oh, to add to number two, obviously content is free and creators a lot rely on ads for income. How much responsibility is on the consumer versus the creator for how products are presented? Um, okay, that's a good one. So I, I think obviously if you, you know, me and Kelsey take our social media influence, if you will, very seriously. And if you are going to promote a company, especially if that company is paying you to promote them, you should probably do the minimal amount of research to just have an idea of what the product is. Now, obviously, with the cancel culture and everything that's been going on these last couple of years, you know, we've got people that are like digging back into like, well, they had the VP of sales say this on Twitter. So we shouldn't support that. Co- I mean, if you go like that deep into these things, like every company's got bad people. Everyone's got bad people. So for me, it's more, I would say for me, it's more about the actual product than like, oh, this company once had this person working for them and now they're a bad person. Like every, you're going to find that everywhere. So to me, it's more about the product. What are they selling? What am I trying to uh, convey to my audience as either a good product to purchase, a good service to purchase, a good location to travel to, whatever it may be? Um, that you know, that to me is the most important thing, and you know, making sure you know what that product is and you trust that product. I think it's huge. And if it does turn out to be like something where it goes south or doesn't go the direction that you thought it would go, then I think at that point, you as a creator also probably need to make some sort of statement to your audience, letting them know about the situation, whatever it may be. And obviously that can be different for everyone. How can we improve off-season coverage content? How can we improve third-party disc golf content in general? I mean, that's a deep conversation. And we might get to that maybe in a future podcast. But I feel like we've talked about that a lot. Um, We got Jonathan. Is the market becoming too saturated with different molds? Some companies have like 25 different drivers. And new ones get released every year. Um. Again, I think, I think there's two things happening here. One, I think there is maybe some sort of new technology that is coming to play. And they have found something that either feels different in the hand and flies a certain way. Or maybe it flies a certain way that they don't have in their lineup. Or you potentially also could have a situation where it's a revamp, right? Like you have a mold that maybe was popular at one time and over the last five, 10 years has kind of died away. No one really throws it, but it was a good mold. And for whatever reason, no one really throws it anymore. Maybe all it needs is a different name change. Maybe all it needs is a little bit of a retool or whatever. And all of a sudden, boom, new disc, everyone goes nuts, berserk. I mean, obviously at a certain point in time, like you can't have like a hundred different molds of drivers, right? Like, I mean, that's just, that's so many I don't know. But again, these are all manufacturer questions, not necessarily like questions for us fans. If a company has 25 driver molds and they're able to sell 
all 25 driver molds, they're going to continue to buy, or sorry, continue to make all 25 driver molds. I mean, they're making a product, people are buying it. At the end of the day, that's what they're going to do. If you stop buying, if everyone just stops buying one of them, they probably will stop making it as well. Consumers, even though I think sometimes we forget, because I'm a consumer as well, we are the ones that hold the power, right? If you want something, we hold the power. If you don't want something, we hold the power. Do they still hold amateur tournaments at pro tour events? Because that is bonkers. Yes. To, to answer your question, there was a handful of tournaments last year that also had amateur tournaments going on either on the same courses and we would play like there would be two courses. One would be the pros, one the, the amateurs would play and the next day flip-flop the amateurs would play the other course. We would play that one or there's a situation where like one course was just the pro course and then there was a bunch of courses around that and that's where the amateurs were playing. Here's, here's my take on that. Obviously, I hated it as a professional. Like I did not enjoy having to share practice rounds with uh, not, you know, again, I don't care if they're amateurs, pros, whatever. You're essentially just increasing the amount of people that can practice at a course, which ended up just causing for big backups and long practice rounds, which there's not a single person out there that will say, yes, I want my practice rounds to be longer. But from a standpoint of like a tournament, if you're having a tournament in the middle of absolutely nowhere, it is going to be very difficult to entice people to drive all the way out there multiple days to watch the tournament. What's the easiest way of getting a big crowd on Sunday at a tournament? You hold an amateur tournament. You get people to show up to play an amateur tournament and to stick around to watch the pros. So it's one of those where, again, like where disc golf is currently at its state, I understand it. I understand why tournament directors do it, and it makes sense. Do I like it as a pro? I don't like it in that sense of like the practicing leading up to it, but I like it in the sense that you are now increasing your pool, if you will, of people that are willing to come and watch the tournament. Do you think if players would be public about, oh wait, I already read that one. Oh, I must have done that twice. All right, we got Astro. Should flex starts allowed to be sanctioned? Should flex starts allowed to be sanctioned? Too much casual play among friends. This is a crazy one to me. Uh, so for those that don't know, flex starts are tournaments where you basically just show up with two of your friends and say, we're playing. And you go out at 8 o'clock in the morning, you go out at 10 o'clock in the morning, you go out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you just play, come in, tell them what your score is, boom, move on. I mean, if, if we're trying to make the PDJ rating like a legit thing to where we're trying to classify skill level of where people should play and what division, I absolutely don't think flex starts should be allowed to count towards that simply because of just how how sketchy they can be I'll, I'll leave it at that if you and two buddies want to go out there and you want to be a terrible person you can go out there cheat 
win money, have that go to your rating. It's, it's, it wouldn't be the most difficult thing to pull off. It would be a lot harder to do that in a, in a event where you're playing with uh, random people. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, Avery wants to know, how do we call rule violations better without people getting salty? I think it's just a culture thing. It's literally just a culture thing. You got to get like, you just have to not care. And if someone is going to get upset, uh, upset with you for calling a rule out on them, I I, just right now, again, it's, it's everything is so everything is set up right now where you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And the thing is like, Calling someone on a violation for essentially breaking a rule should not be hurting someone's feelings. You, they did something wrong. You did nothing wrong. But we, we have this culture in disc golf right now, and it's, it's in the pro tour too, of where like no one wants to upset anyone. No one wants to like have bad beef or anything like that with anyone. And so people let people get away with the rule. So... You know, because we're not we're not having people for the most part, we're not having people call stuff on themselves. Right. And and granted, it would be, you know, foot faulting, those type of things. It would be very difficult to call those things on yourself. You really do need to have like a third party, like someone else seeing what's going on to actually call those on you. So you can't really have like this like gentleman's game of where it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'll, I'll call myself on that. I messed up. I did this. You really do need to have someone. So just don't get, I don't know. If, if someone gets upset with you for making a call on them, that's on them, not on you. All right, a couple more and then we're going to open it up. Again, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to, we are currently live on YouTube and we're going to jump into some questions and potentially some more debate topics. And maybe, again, if you're listening to this live right now, if I've said anything that you disagree with, throw that in the chat here in a little bit and we'll, we'll move forward. And maybe I'll bring it up and maybe, maybe we'll have you on the show at one point because I'm always looking for a good debate because we're on to the last topic. And this is from uh, Mr. Pipert. Players should be required to play one event in each of the time zones slash swings to qualify for the playoffs. Y'all are pros competing, but it's also a business. Disc Golf Pro Tour is best when the best come to play and helps marketing events. Also, players can't hide from courses uh, that they struggle with. With this, TDs and Disc Golf Pro Tour should have full control over who is on feature cards and who gets on coverage for tiebreakers. It's their job to promote the event and feel this is a great way in helping them do that. Uh, this is a good one. So... This is something that's actually kind of going on right now with the PJ Tour of where they're essentially having players are, are essentially having discussions right now of like, listen, the tour is better when we're all in the same spot, right? Talking as if you're a top player. You get all the top players to go to more events. Those events are going to be more successful. I don't know right now if the if we're there yet to where the Pro Tour can demand that because let's just say like the West Coast Swing, for example. For a lot of pros, the West Coast Swing is going to be a very expensive trip. 
And there might be some people that do the calculations and just say, you know what? I don't think financially it makes sense to go out to the West Coast. I'm going to stay at home, play some A tiers, win some money that way, not to pay for travel, move on. I do see what you're saying, though, as a potential in the future of where you got a handful of tournaments and they're like, all right, out of these seven tournaments, you have to go to these five. You have to go to at least five of them. So that way, at least they know those tournaments are big. Now, I'll say this. You are going to see at every Elite Series event next year, you are going to see a good field. There will be very few top players that do not play at the Elite Series events. It is starting to become more and more... The Tour Championship at the end of the year is starting to become more and more prestigious. The money's going up. The coverage is going up. The attention to the, the event itself is going up. People want to make it through the playoffs and get in the Tour Championship. The, the easy way of doing that is by playing in these events. It's going to be much harder unless you're one of the top handful of players to not play in that many Elite Series events and still qualify. So I think these Elite Series events moving forward, you're going to see a lot, a lot of big players. All right. I'm going to try now to pop on YouTube and we're going to go through some questions from you guys in the comments. So again, if you guys are listening, appreciate you guys tuning in. This is obviously a little bit of a different podcast than we normally do. But we're trying. I'm trying to do my best I can tonight, and hopefully you guys are enjoying it. So, all right, I'm just going to bust through some of these that are uh, interesting to talk about. Um, are we going to see more Gannon Burst coming up, or is he an, an anomaly? I mean, I think his skill level is pretty special. I feel like he's also put a lot of work and time into his craft. So. I think we, there are obviously tons of people that could have the talent, like the ceiling of a Gannon Burr. But his work ethic, I think, is what really kind of puts him and sets him apart from a lot of people. So it, there's definitely a possibility. I would say, too, with disc golf, there is a much – there's a much um, – how do I want to say – how do I want to word this? The gap – between like someone that's been on tour for two years and someone that's been on tour for 10 years is like very small. There's not really that much stuff that you need to like, oh man, you got to get on tour. You got to get your time in. You got to under, there's not really much of that. Disc golf is set up in such an aggressive mode that there's not, there's really not that much strategy involved with how it's set up currently. And so I don't think you're going to have, that makes the barrier of entry a lot smaller for a lot of people. If you're just really good at disc golf, you can jump on tour and be be competitive right off the bat. You don't necessarily have to be like, oh, you got to get your time in. You got to figure it out. So, yeah. Brody, would you ever consider going on the upshot and talking with Charlie or having him on debate night? Of course, yeah. I think, I think Charlie disagrees with me on a lot of stuff. So... That, I mean, that would probably be an interesting conversation because he probably has a lot of different viewpoints. I know he disagreed with me on a lot in Ultimate and uh, 
And uh, yeah, I think that would, I think that would make for an inf- interesting conversation for sure. Um, any thoughts about Dismania panicking after the mystery boxes didn't sell out fast and discounted the boxes after the initial release? Wait, what? Wait, what? That happened? Oh, oh. See, I'm I'm a little bit out of it. So you guys are you guys are throwing some topics on here that I don't even know what's going on. All right, I need a little more information on that. So they put out mystery boxes. They didn't all sell out, and they immediately put them on discount. Yeah, I I don't. I want to get more information before I give an opinion on that because that a lot of times too, I think some people, you know, hear something and then they say it and maybe they don't give all the information out there. And then all of a sudden I give them my opinion on it. And now everyone else is like, Oh, this is what happened. Um, am I getting some Nike money for that hat? Zero money from Nike. Chainhawk open. That is on my radar. It'd be nice. Um, they are giving something to the initial buyers who paid $100 versus $90 so they don't feel like they missed out on a deal. They didn't. The boxes went live with a discount code so people who bought quick got it for cheap until they caught it. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. If that, okay. So that was just like, it seems like it was just a mistake. Okay. So it seems like, okay, that doesn't sound nearly as bad as what this first person did. Um, if that's the case, if that's the case, if they just, if they just had some sort of code going on, and they didn't realize that the code was going to be able to be used for the mystery boxes. So some people were able to apply it early on and they took it off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's happened to us too. We've had, I mean, the whole thing, again, you got to remember too, a lot of these disc golf companies were small businesses, even, even a company as, as, big in your head of like Dismania, like Dismania, my guess is their actual like team of like how many people work for them. They probably have a lot of people wearing a lot of different hats. So there are unfortunately things like this that are going to happen where again, you just have people wearing multiple hats and maybe they're doing something that might not, not even be in their expertise. You know, I it when you have like startup companies, I don't want to call Dismania really a necessary startup company because they've been around a lot and they're obviously a very successful company. But at the end of the day, a lot of these companies in the grand scheme of things are small compared to other companies. And and if you're trying to it's tough if you're trying to 
you know, look at, let's say a Dismania and be like, they need to, they need to act like a Nike or they need to act like a TaylorMade or they need to act like a Callaway or a Reebok or Adidas or whatever. It's tough because it's like, it's, it's tough because the resources are just so much smaller, so much smaller. So, you know, it probably sucks. They probably, they probably, obviously they're getting bad press. Some people are really pissed off about it, I'm sure. But it, from, from what I've, if I'm reading it correctly, it looks like, it looks like there was a discount code. It looks like there was a discount code that was somehow applied. And it wasn't supposed to be applied. And so some people bought it at, full price some people didn't buy it at full price and so now there are people that are upset that's what it sounds like so um all right is there a city where there is not an elite series event that you wish would be bumped up to that level of course you love that could fit the mold of an elite series oh that's a good question i i mean the problem is i just haven't played that many courses off tour i think they did a good job of picking what events should be silver series events and what events should be elite series events. I don't think there is a silver series event right now. That's like, ah, they should be an elite series event. Um, but that obviously can change. You know, you can go to a course and see them put a lot of work and effort into it and be like, holy crap, this is ready to go. But as of right now, I don't see that. Hope to see you playing at the new cascade challenge in Washington. I should be playing in that one. Tee boxes are dangerous when wet. Is the tour looking at this to prevent injury? That's a huge one. That is a huge one. There, there should be never a risk of injury that can be avoided, I will say. You're obviously going to have injuries throughout the season. We put a lot of wear and tear on our body. There's nothing you can do about that. The teeing area of where everyone has to throw off that is something that needs to be addressed because there are courses that we play where the tees are just, they're just dangerous. They're just very dangerous. And hopefully that is something that the tour attacks and really tries to figure out a solution for. Because I think also it just, one, if you're a tour, you don't want to put your players at risk. Two, as a product, the product is so much worse when the players are having to focus on not slipping on a tee pad. It, it is. It's just, it's just a worse product. You know, some people are going to throw in standstill shots. Some are gonna, people are going to be laying beach towels down. It, it's not a good product. It just does. It's not good for anyone. So that definitely needs to be addressed. Uh. What makes a tour stop interesting to you and other professionals besides the actual tournament? Um, I mean, I things to do in the. I, I'm I'm the worst person to ask for that. I'm not. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not traveling to travel. I'm not trying to see the world when I'm on tour, I'm there for one reason and that's to win. So 
you know, you, you can throw me in the middle of nowhere and I'm going to show up if that's where the big tournament is. To me, the tournament is everything. The, the crowd is everything. You know, one of the reasons why I love Des Moines so much is the crowd, regardless of what the weather's like. The crowd there shows up and is loud and has incredible amounts of energy. And I think, you know, not to speak for others, but I think that's a lot of times what we love to play for. We love to play to entertain people. And I could care less if there's a Mall of America or a Six Flags or sweet hiking trails or a place to put my hammock. I, I could care less. You know, I'm right now in the Dominican Republic. I'm in the, the off season. I can travel to places. I can see things. I can do stuff with Kelsey. That's when, for me, that's when I want to do that stuff. Tour, I don't care. Put us on the best courses, in front of the best fans, at the best venues, and let's do it. Of course, we want disc golf to grow, but it is also very nice how easy we are to able to meet and communicate with other favorite players. As it grows, will this go away? Um, that's an interesting one. I mean, here's the thing. At the end of the day, like, as you as you grow as you go up the famous ladder i think there's different stages okay and i think obviously it's different for everyone but from my my experience through what i've been through and then also my experience through other people i've met you have kind of these ladders of where you have one side of where as they get more and more famous, they want more and more people just to treat them normal. They would love to just have a normal conversation with someone and just be treated as a normal human and not necessarily maybe have a camera thrown in front of their face to take a selfie or have something, you know, a baseball or basketball, whatever it may be, thrown in front of their face to sign. They just want normal interaction, human interaction. You have that side. Then you kind of have the other side of where as they get more and more famous, they get, we won't even talk about that side. I think as the tour continues to grow, you are going to still have a lot of pros that want to have that normal interaction with fans in a way to where they can connect with them and it not necessarily be this like I'm up here and you're down here, but more like here, right? Of where initially it might be in this situation of where you're like, oh my God, I know everything about you. I'm a huge fan of you, blah, blah, blah. But like as the communication continues and the conversation continues, it gets to this level of where you just have a normal conversation with the person. And I don't think that goes away because I think that's what a lot of humans just earn, uh, like earn for. Like that's what we want. We want to have connections with people. We, you know, we we strive for that, and that's what we look for. And regardless of how big the tour gets, or how many more people are watching the tour, or how much more famous the pros get, I don't think that ultimately goes away. 
I think the only thing that kind of goes away is maybe more on the safety side of things um, of where maybe, yeah, some, there's maybe a little more ropage. There's a little more like separation between the, the players and the fans. Um, but, you know, I think, I, you know, I think if you bumped into someone and you just treated them like a normal person, I think your interaction with those people would probably be a lot better than you would think. And I don't think that matters about really necessarily how famous they are. Um, I do agree with you with we shouldn't be able to run them down in the parking lot for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the other thing too is, again, how I... Treating them like a normal person is, is it goes both ways, right? Like when they want to interact treat them like a normal person. And then when they also don't want to interact, treat them like a normal person, right? Like everyone watching this right now, we have all had times in our life where we're just like, we don't want to like something really bad happened to us. We just want to get here. We've had a long day, whatever it may be. There might just be a point in your life, uh, a point in your day where you're just like, I just, I just need to get from point A to point B. And you can see how maybe someone can get annoyed if like someone just strikes up a conversation and is hate, whatever it may be. It goes both ways what I'm trying to say. So like when, yes, what that person just said, who, who just said that? Jonathan, great point. If they're like walking to their car and they're on their phone with their loved one, it's the same thing as how like if that was just a random person, you probably wouldn't go up and strike a conversation with that person. Same thing here is like just treat everyone like a normal person, treat everyone like how you would want to be treated, and and I think everyone will be fine. What is this guy's golf handicap now? If you're talking about me, I don't have one. I haven't played enough golf to have a handicap. On average, how many days a week do you throw in the off season? Uh, I'm gonna start after this trip. My off, you know, because I I like I do like to get away from it just a little bit. Um, let the body take a rest. And right now too, my main focus, obviously, if you've been pay- paying attention to me on Twitter, my main focus right now has been losing weight, getting back in shape. So I'm excited to kind of f- see what the body feels like throwing again after, you know, losing five, six, seven pounds, whatever, putting some muscle on. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll start here when we get back from this trip, I'll, I'll, I'll start throwing every day again. Do you think more players are going to hire a caddy to tour with them, kind of like Yuli and his caddy? I don't think so. There's not enough money. How's the cup been going? Good. It's been going well. We got a a lot a lot of work still to do with the the weight loss. Um, obviously, diet's a big one. But yeah, it feels good to be back in the gym. Honestly, it does. And it's one of those where it's like, gosh, why did you ever let yourself go? You know that that's. It happens so quick, you know. You miss one day here, then it's it all becomes it comes easy and miss another day, and you're like, oh, I can let me just eat this pint of Ben and Jerry's. It's not that big of a deal, and then boom, gone. (laughs) Happens real, real quick, and it takes forever to get back. So it's like one of those where it's like, bro, you you've gone through this enough times to realize, like, let's just get in a good spot, let's maintain it, and then obviously certain areas, let's peak, get a little bit better off. Um, and then get back to like a maintain versus like going way downhill. 
Did you feel your distance or endurance go down after gaining the weight? Yeah, both. Both distance and endurance got worse as the season went on. Add more hazard areas, not just OB, to the Pro Tour events. Love that idea. I think having OB and hazards, being able to utilize both, I think really uh, opens the door for creative design in courses. And especially with disc golf, where we don't have the money to necessarily move dirt around, plant trees, really change the landscape. I think that's the best option that we got right now. Do you already have a list of your 2023 goals for the disc golf season? I do. I normally share those with you guys at the end of the season as well. So you won't know any of them until the end of the season. So stay tuned. Someone just asked what are my goals? Stay tuned. Um, who is your OG idol of disc golf? See, this is a weird one. Like I don't really necessarily have one, right? Because literally the only people I knew that played disc golf was Avery Jenkins. And then... Again, I didn't follow his career. I was friends with him, and we did videos together, but I, like, I didn't follow his career. And then he brought Simon along, and so I was like, all right, Simon plays disc golf as, as well. Again, once those videos were done, my like disc golf for me, once we got done filming those things, it went like, poop, poop, gone. Like Not thinking about it. ultimate Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee. So there was, you know, when I came into disc golf, like, you can't, what, 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 I'm just going to like have an eye, like it's, it doesn't work. I, I was not a fan of disc golf before I came into disc golf. I literally, like as soon as I liked disc golf, I was playing disc golf and I was like thrown into the mix. And obviously there's a lot of people on tour that I respect and I look up to them and their game and what they're king accomplish, their accomplishments and stuff like that. But it's nowhere near if I would have gone into golf, tennis, basketball, sports that I grew up watching and as a kid saw, you know, people doing stuff and then immediately after watching it, going out in the court and, and trying to emulate it myself. That never happened in disc golf for me. Does Kelsey have any disc golf goals? No, I don't think so. Any dark Janice disc coming in the future? That, that would be an interesting one. If that's something that people want, I could see, I see, I could see, I mean, people really like the Janus Thrashers. I personally love them for roller discs. I thought they were awesome roller discs. So, you know, again, this is all demand. If, if there was a, if there's, if you guys show a high demand for like dark Janus Thrashers, I'm sure, I'm sure Discraft can, can, can put something out here very quickly. But again, it's all, it's all demand situation, all demand. You and Ezra make my day when I watch y'all's videos. Always funny. Nate, appreciate that, brother. Yeah, we, we're going to continue to do that next year. You know, I think I think that was, again, like I'm going to make content with people that I enjoy. Uh, if I'm going to be out there doing stuff, I'm going to want to have fun doing it and enjoy my time. As you can see, if you go back and look at my YouTube history, there's very few times, if any, that I, I mean, it would be hard for me to find a video where I'm sure there's a couple on there, but I mean, I've made hundreds of videos and it'd be hard to find more than 10, let's say, of where it's like, I wasn't interested in doing them. Like I didn't have a passion to like 
hey, I have this idea. I want to go out and film it. Let's do it. Um, I make videos with people that I enjoy being around. I make videos with people that, um, yeah, I just enjoy. And bro versus pro is a good example. You know, like those, a lot of those, uh, and maybe that's a, you know, maybe that's a series that I start back up at some point. Who knows? We'll see. It's tough. But for me, if you go and look back, like on the videos I've done with people, I never, if you, excluding Vine, because Vine was a weird world and I definitely did some Vines with some sketchy people, I would say. But excluding the Vine videos, like all the collabs I've really done have been with people that I like, I really respect and um, were awesome people to work with. So that's always cool. Like I, I've always enjoyed doing videos with someone where I was like, holy cow, like you're very talented at this skill or whatever it may be. And, you know, it's, I'm basically, it's an honor for me to be in a video with you. And I mean, that goes all the way back to Dude Perfect, right? Of where, you know, just seeing, I learned so much. Granted, like, yeah, did I gain a lot of followers and subscribers and all that stuff from them? Sure. But I think outside of that, I think I gained so much more from like the knowledge that they either gave to me in like talking and conversations or simply like me just being able to be in a video with them and seeing how they operate. Like that was huge for me in my YouTube career to to kind of have like this idea of like, holy cow, like I need to step up my game. I need to be doing this, this, and this. Um, so yeah. How many of the pros on your would you consider, wait, how many pros would you consider to be personal friends of yours rather than just people who could create content with? Um. You know, I mean, I again, I, I feel like I'm fairly friendly with a lot of the guys on tour. Um, you know, there is, you know, it's for me, like, I don't really play games. I'm old. I'm an old fart at this point. So, like, I'm not really necessarily interested in acting friendly to someone that talks crap about me behind my back or whatever it may be. So, you know, I've, I've heard some stuff and whatnot and like I kind of dis- disassociate myself a little bit um, from that situation. But yeah, I mean, I would say there's a, there's a handful of people that I'm definitely friendly with. And, but again, like I'm in a point in my life where like I'm not really necessarily looking to I'm not looking to create new friendships, if you will. Like, I'm not looking to be like, I need to find someone that I can go uh, to the movies with or go work out or I need to find someone to go to dinner. Like, for me, if it organically happens, awesome. If it doesn't, I'm not missing out. I've got my friends that, I don't know, I, I keep my circles very, very tight. I haven't really, let's just say I haven't really made too many friends over the the last several years, I've kind of just kept the guys that have been with me since day one, I've kind of just kept them, you know, because it's tough, man. It's, it really is tough to know what some people's attentions are. And I've gotten burned too many times and I, I, I don't need that. 
I don't need that anymore. Uh, I'm a business owner looking to invest in the sport, but it seems at least at the local level, the old guard seems to like the status quo. This is a turnoff to us. Why is this? I mean, people just don't like change. At the end of the day, people don't like change. So you kind of just have to do it and eventually people get used to it. But initially, people don't like change. Uh, anyone think Bondanza Disc Golf on YouTube can make the Pro Tour? That's his goal. If anyone has seen his channel, it'll be interesting to see either way, I think. That's sick. I don't know who that is, but good luck to him. I will say, too, like if you're trying to make it on tour, uh, do it now because it's only going to get harder and harder to get on tour. Is there a type of shot you were lacking in 2022 that you'll have in 2023? A flex forehand with drivers. I like my flex forehand with my approach discs, not necessarily with my drivers. Is the standard of 18 holes per course necessary? Why not a different number of holes per tour for pro tours? Just wondering. You know, that's an interesting one. I don't really know the history of why golf courses did 18 holes. That would be a kind of a fun deep dive of what was the reasoning for 18 holes. I'm sure there had to have been something. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, B won't say Paul Macbeth, but maybe he's not a good teacher either, though. Just because he's the best in the world doesn't mean he can translate it to coaching. I don't know what that's in response to. Should disc golf approach live for any chance of negotiations for the future? I don't think they have any interest in disc golf. What are some of the, your hobbies outside of disc golf? I mean, me and Kelsey, obviously, outside of disc golf, it's spending time with her, doing things, um, whether it's you know walking the dogs, throwing the frisbee with the dogs. A lot of time, it's 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 a lot of family time. I'll say that it's it's you know when I'm gone on tour or I'm gone during the day, uh, I don't really care what I do with Kelsey. Like as long as we're doing stuff together, if it's playing a card game, doing a puzzle, watching a movie, it doesn't really matter. Um, is Kurt Gibson going to start touring? Oh, interesting question. I know, I know he's definitely got the itch and he definitely loves it. It's just going to be, is he willing to get worse to get better? That's a lot of times that's, that's tough. No squares in my circle. I'm not a waffle. (laughs) What would you, would you take 10 top tens, three wins or one win in a major? I'll take one win in a major. Um, should pro tour points start over every year or be more like tennis? I don't mind the way they do it right now. I don't mind the starting, every, you know, restarting every year. I'm fine with that. Took 18 beers to get drunk. That's why you think there was 18 holes. That's funny. Are you a mid round snacker? What's your go to snack? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll have like almond. See, I think one of the reasons why I got so fat, honestly, is I was just cramming down uh, protein bars. And these protein bars have like, some of them have like 260 calories. And you like eat three of those. I mean, that's like a thousand calories, essentially. Like, well, you know, 770 calories or 780. Uh, That's a a lot of calories. So I'm going to be a lot smarter, I think, this year moving forward. I think you're going to be seeing me if you really want to get into the nitty gritty. Almonds. 
bananas. Almonds, bananas. Almonds, bananas. Um, are kids in y'all's future? Yes. Kelsey actually just said to, tonight less than three years or three years. I can't remember. But yes. Mm, it was a response to someone asking who asking you who was an influential influential coach to you. It's an interesting one. Uh, disc golf, I'll, I'll come out and say, I don't think disc golf has really that many good coaches out there. Um, they don't, you know, I think, I think a lot of people coach very specific, like this is what you should do is what everyone should do. And they don't take things into consideration of like where your body is athletically flexibility wise. There's a lot of things that go into it and, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Literally look at any people that won on tour this year and look at their backhand form, look at their forehand form. They don't all look the same. They're very different. So I've had, obviously I've had, it's very interesting to me because I feel like I had a lot of people trying to help me at the beginning. And ultimately I think, yeah, I, I, I appreciate it, but I don't think I actually really start. I don't think I really actually started getting a lot better until like I went by myself and was like trying to figure it out by myself and not necessarily having like five different things coming in saying, do it this way. This is how I do it. Do it this way. This is how I do it. Do it this way. So, um, you know, and I think Ezra, obviously me and Ezra click a lot. Our games are very similar. So he was someone too that I think it was very easy for me and him because he is like a, he is very much a student of the game where he loves talking about form and trying to get down to the nitty gritty. So me and him have had countless conversations about certain things um, and just trying to dial stuff in. So yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. do you think playing bigger events? Do you think playing bigger events helps a player improve? No. Not really. I don't think you need to play big events to get better. Um, ooh, St. Andrews, the founding of the first course was 22 holes. Then they got drunk and changed to 18. Uh, do I think TCU will go undefeated? I think they're going to beat Kansas State, yeah. Uh, ooh. Mike, did you did you ever find an editor? If you need an editor, virtual assistant, still I message you on Discord. Okay, appreciate it, Mike. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to hammer that out all out this off season because that would be an awesome moving forward during the season. That'll be an awesome thing not to have to worry about is editing. Disc golf is the only sport I know that people just blindly trust pros to know how to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Difference between coaching and tip videos. Plenty of people on YouTube with tips, but no one that is really coaching. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true as well. Do I think Ezra should cut his hair? What is he growing it out super long now? Uh, do, 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 do. How long before we see swing coaches in disc golf? I just don't think it's not that. It's not that. Let me ask you this question.
Actually, this is a good question. Is there, are there swing coaches in baseball at the major leagues? Does anyone know? Because I actually don't know. I was actually just thinking about that. Are there swing coaches at the major leagues for baseball? There are hitting coaches. So do they, are they working on, what are they working on, I guess? What are, what are like, uh, what are some things like the hitting coaches work on? Oh, actual swing mechanics. So they're, so MLB player, baseball is one of those sports I, I, I don't have that much knowledge, but I know like the, I know like a baseball swing is very similar. Like the movement of a baseball swing is very similar to a backhand. You know, like if you're a lefty baseball player, pitcher, uh, hitter, like that kind of whole body movement is very similar to a backhand. So I'm curious as to how, how involved they get. Maybe they're getting more involved than you would think. Okay, so they are doing a lot of stuff. Okay, interesting. Wow. Yeah, all right. Heck yeah. Um, grip pressure, pinch point, change, changes for different shots, distances. Oh, that's a that's not telling me. That's that was a question. He's got me all confused. Okay. Aaron Judge's hitting coach is an interesting coach to watch. Very interesting. Here's the thing. With these sports, I think I think what you can do is you can give out blanket stuff, right? You can give out very vague kind of blanket, do this, do that, and it will help improve people. You will get better if you listen and, and do those things. But then I do think there are certain things that are like, you gotta, you gotta make, it's the same thing, like I will be the first one to tell you if you're looking to get into the best performance shape, like physical performance that you can for your sport, you are going to be doing that. You're going to do that a lot faster. And probably you actually would probably only be able to do it with a trainer that is literally seeing what you're doing and modifying the program specifically for you and what your skill or performance level is currently. If you just started going to like group training classes and they were just giving out like a generic training program for everyone to follow, I don't even know if you'd ever even reach your, your, your uh, full potential in your performance. I don't think it would be because it's not a program that's tailored to you. It's a program tailored for everyone. So I do think obviously there is a lot of, you know, and I have tons of tutorial videos on how to throw an ultimate frisbee and all these things. And yes, if you need help on learning how to throw an ultimate frisbee and you search how to throw a forehand and my video pops up, you're going to leave after watching that video with more knowledge on the proper mechanics to throw a, fr a forehand frisbee than you had prior. However, there are certain things for individuals that I think you need to customize for the individual. 
And that's where I think on the pro level, like that just doesn't exist yet. Yeah. How's the flip up vulture forehand going? I actually like flowing. I actually like throwing the forehand vulture. Yeah. We're talking about some of the trainers that invest a crazy amount of money in people. That's nuts. That's that is nuts, but it is true. Especially more in the 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 mixed martial arts, you know, the boxing, um, those type of sports. You got, you know, people that will just train people for free because they see a skill or something in them because you know, in that sport, if you can bring a world champ or some, you know, if you can bring someone like that into your gym or grow them essentially into your gym, I mean, that's worth so much money. That is worth so much money. So yeah, you know, there, there are people that probably just don't have the money or the funds to be able to pay for really high level training. And you've got these trainers that are like, listen, I'm going to train you for free. And if you end up doing X, Y, and Z, you can pay me back or you can whatever, whatever. And that's a win-win for both. If the Pro Tour adds hazard areas to events when making it all OB shots a back to the tee box point, I mean, OB stroke and distance, I think, is also something that would be very interesting to, to explore more. I'm always I'm always up to exploring more of punishing shots um, in certain situations. All right, I think we're gonna be wrapping up here very soon. I think we did pretty good tonight, guys. I think we did pretty good. We 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 did the best we could. I appreciate everyone that stuck around and listened. I appreciate everyone that watched live here on YouTube. Um. And, you know, I think, again, like we said, we're going to be trying to do these, these these live shows like once a month, try to get some interaction with you guys and uh, bring to light maybe some, you know, conversations that we haven't brought into light, things that are going on in disc golf that maybe we skipped talking about or we just didn't even know and missed. Uh, these are good ones for those things to be brought up. So I appreciate everyone that added to the podcast appreciate everyone that tuned in tonight appreciate everyone that's listening uh later on i appreciate all you guys this is awesome and next week i will be back in dallas hunter and silas should be back and uh until then i'm gonna be swinging some sticks down here and uh hoping making some birdies so i think i did everything i don't think i missed anything i I'll find out very soon from Hunter whether or not this was good or bad. And uh, hopefully it was good. But I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all the support. And hey, I didn't say it. Everyone that went over on to Foundation Disc Golf for Black Friday or Cyber Monday and uh, or even Atlas, all everyone that supported by making a purchase or doing any of that stuff, I appreciate all you guys. Thank you guys so much. And I'll say this for the – I mean, obviously – Getting into these companies when I did, 
the coolest thing I would say, and this is something that I only know initially, like was even on top of my mind. Initially, it was probably more, I definitely probably more was on like the selfish side of like, oh my gosh, I want to own a company. I want to be an owner of something. But that's cool. Sure. But the, the part that actually is like more satisfying and the part that I've actually come to realize is like a lot more, I guess, enjoyable for myself is like being able to provide jobs for a lot of other people in disc golf. And that would just not be, it would not be possible without you guys' support. So whether you buy stuff on Foundation Disc Golf, whether you guys are listening to this podcast, whether you guys watch the videos on on YouTube, um, on Foundation, whatever you guys are doing, um, the support is incredible and it's awesome to continue to grow Foundation and to continue to make our family bigger and adding more and more people uh, that can say like, I work for a disc golf company. Um, I think that's super cool. So appreciate all you guys. Thank you so much. And, uh, we'll see you next Tuesday.